welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. I'm your host, Lonnie Swain. I'm a media veteran, digital content creator, and strategist. My career has required many cross-country relocations from my hometown of New Orleans to Baltimore, St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, back to New Orleans, and now Miami, Florida. The purpose of this show is to remind you that everyone has to go through something to get somewhere. I lead personal and professional development conversations in hopes of inspiring you to live your best and most authentic lives. And just a reminder, I always love to know what you think about the podcast. So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get into the show. So today we are going to be talking about venture capital. I've got Robin Lee joining me. She's based in New York and focuses on investments in consumer, new retail, and urban technology for GGV Capital. She serves on the board of directors for Bustle Digital Group, Glow Concept, and Lively, and is an observer or is actively involved with Bowery Farming, Boxed, Grub Market, Ibotta, Poshmark, Slice, The Mighty, Wheel Well, Yami Bai, and Yellow. Robin created Evolve. E, a highly active community of top entrepreneurs and executives in the e-commerce, retail, and consumer goods sectors that connect at the Evolving E Annual Summit and at hosted events around the country. Prior to joining GGV, Robin worked at Flectronics Venture Arm, covering hardware and technology investments. Before Venture Capital, she spent three years at Teach for America as a teacher and administrator. Robin holds a BA in Art History from the University of Florence, BA in economics and art history from Rutgers, MS in special education from Hunter College, and an MBA with a specialization in entrepreneurship and management from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Those are a lot of degrees, Robin. I'm so yeah. impressed. Okay. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me on the Lonnie Swain Show today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Once again, I've had a lot of guests now on the podcast that I was able to connect with at the Well Summit. And Robin, you were speaking on a panel about investing in women-owned businesses. But before we get into that, first of all, I'm curious, how did you go from teaching for America to getting into venture capital? How was that transition for you? It was quite a big jump, right? In the sense that you were in the public sector and then you go into private. But I made that transition um, while I was in business school. And so when I was at University of Chicago, during my time there, I volunteered cheered actually a lot at the local incubators and accelerators and even Teach for America's entrepreneurship program. And so there I got to know the world about startups, about uh, entrepreneurs and what it takes to raise venture capital money, what's it like to interact with venture capital funds. And so I ended up interning that summer in venture capital and then I you know, been there since. It's been about five years now. So for the people that are totally unfamiliar, can you explain exactly what venture capital funds are and specifically what GGV Capital is all about? Yeah, sure. So a venture capital fund is a fund that's put together by institutional capital. And institutional capital is typically, you know, your university's endowment fund. It is your pension fund. It is these big aggregators of capital who want to allocate in different pools 
for mm-hmm. all finance to get return from their investment. So some of that might be put into U.S. Treasury bonds. Some of it might be put into private equity. And venture capital is actually the highest risk of alternative capital. And so they would allocate some of their dollars to this pool. And this pool is so risky because you're betting on startups, right, entrepreneurs, but you actually have a really high reward, so a high risk, high return type of capital. And so these funds are put together and managed by a group of partners. And so at GGV, for example, we have six partners in our fund. We manage $6.2 billion of capital. And across all these funds, we invest in companies of all stages. So you could think of companies in the very early stage, like seed stage, where they have an idea, they may have already launched, but need more capital to get going. We Mm -hmm. actually invest all the way up to pre-IPO before a company goes public. So venture capital typically invests in companies who have not yet gone public and will go public or get acquired someday. And so for us, we primarily invest pretty globally So we have companies that we invested in the U.S. We also have companies we invest in in Asia, like China, Southeast Asia as well. We actually just made our first investment in Latin America, too. So we're a very global fund, and we sit in offices across the world as well. And so we have San Francisco Memo Park in California. We have Beijing in Shanghai, and I'm our New York office. And so you mentioned that, you know, you invest from the the very early phases. Like what I'm thinking of is the TV show Shark Tank. Is that a good example mm-hmm. of venture capital and how investors operate, would you say? Or is that just like for TV compared um, to what you do? It's, it's a mix of both. I think that it's not as intense <laughs> as a, a, you know, a, a rapid fire type of situation. I, I would say that actually we tend to get to know our entrepreneurs for, you know, sometimes even a year at a time before we even invest. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think the difference is that it's actually a much longer cycle than people think it is. We oh. actually work with our entrepreneurs for seven to 10 years wow. um, before they exit. And okay. so it really is a very tight partnership, tight marriage. But, you know, the business that we're in is to finance companies with entrepreneurs who have amazing ideas or vision, right? We want to back people whose businesses are aiming, you know, beyond the stars and you want to touch the lives of like billions of people. And so for us, we're really looking for a very specific type of company that we want to fund. And specific categories that, you know, we invest in are consumer internet. So that includes e-commerce companies, social digital media companies, travel, um, so in our portfolio, we have companies like Wish, House, Toshmark, OfferUp in the e-commerce space. We also have some fintech companies like Affirm that kind of enable this ecosystem. We backed Square a while ago, which was we led their Series B. And so Square has gone public then. We have travel companies like Airbnb in our portfolio, Hotel Tonight. And um, we have a lot of digital media companies, like you mentioned, um, Bustle Digital Group as well. And so a whole gamut there. We have other sectors that we invest in, like enterprise and SaaS. SaaS is like software as a service. And so companies like Slack, which you may use for productivity, Opendoor, HashiCorp. So a lot of these businesses tend to enable enterprises and uh, software that can can help them. And then Mm -hmm. the last sector that we invest in is IoT or deep tech. So these are robotic, 
artificial intelligence, blockchain, that's a very separate group as well. And so these are the primary sectors we invest in. And we invest across all stages of a company's life cycle. From the sounds of it, when you work with a venture capital, you all are more invested in the actual growth and and support from a non-financial standpoint. Would that be correct to say? As opposed to if someone were to just go get a loan from a bank. Venture capital, you're, you're more invested literally in the success of the company. And so what other ways besides financial support might be offered? I guess the key difference here between getting a loan and getting VC money is that venture capital takes a part of your company so that we actually, when we do invest, it's an exchange for equity. And so sometimes we take a portion of your company, like whether it's 20%, 10%, 25%. And so because we are also owners of the company in that sense, right, we are very invested. For our fund, we typically sit on a board of of directors for a company. So that means that we tend to vote on what the strategy should be, how much the compensation packages might be for the employees, right? Who we should hire, what does the org chart look like? We're not there to like control the company. We never take a majority position that like Mm -hmm. private equity firm might take, but we are actually more of an advisor to the company. And so we sit alongside as a partner to these companies as well and spend a lot of time kind of helping them shape not just what the business might be, but them as a person as well. So we try to offer a lot of professional support too. Robin, I don't know if you know this, but I've lived many lives and worn many hats in my day. But one of the Mm -hmm. things that I did once upon a time was I had a chocolate candy company. And I started that when I was living in Chicago and started it kind of as a hobby. And I would share it with my coworkers at my full-time job. And this one guy, he tried my candy and he took my number and I thought he was just taking my number to like place an order at some point. Well, he calls me like a week later and he's like, hey, I have an investor for you. And wow. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not ready for that. I mean, I don't even have a business name. I don't even have a website. I don't have you know, I was really just thinking of it as like a hobby that maybe I'll turn into a business. So eventually I did turn it into a business that conversation and the fact that somebody else felt convicted enough about my product to go and reach out to an investor or whoever he may have reached out to, that made me say, oh, okay, I must really have something here. But would you say that that is kind of how that could work? Or are there certain benchmarks that someone should have before they seek out an investor or even start that conversation when you say it's in the very, very early stages, is not having a website an issue for some idea or or business that you might invest in? Yeah, I think um, in your case, you might have met somebody called an angel investor. So they usually invest out of their own pool of money. And so a lot of angel investors either come from their own successful exit as a company, right? And so, for example, the CEO of Bustle is Brian Goldberg. And before that, he co-founded Leisure Report, which got sold. And so because of that exit, he also started to mentor and invest in new entrepreneurs in the ecosystem. And so he's an angel investor and he invests out of his own money and helps back these these entrepreneurs take off. 
So mm-hmm. in that sense, most of the time when you do end up raising money, it is from friends and family, people who are closest to you, as well as some angel investors who can provide value, right? They provide perspective, they provide um, advice for you. When it comes to institutional capital, which is similar to ours, we tend to invest in a little bit later stage where you probably have at least a product or something that has launched. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that if you are a consumer brand or some type of platform that you want to build, et cetera, like I think probably a website would be pretty important. But I think for any entrepreneur, we always ask them, do you really want venture money, right? And um, we have to be aligned because not all successful companies need venture capital money, right? And so if right. you take a look at this company called Sweat, which is based out of Australia, they're in this amazing business built by Toby Pierce and Kayla Itzings. And it's a $100 million business who never took a single dime from other investors. Right? And so one, I think you have to figure out is venture right for you. And I would ask a couple questions. Okay. You, you should ask yourself, one, do you want to build a hundred million dollar business and above? Right. At the minimum for venture capital to work, we need exits that are huge outsized outcomes because it's such a big risk. Most mm-hmm. of the companies that we back a lot of them probably would fail. Most startups, most of them might not work out. And so when we're picking these companies, we need to have economics that can work for our funds. Mm -hmm. And so do you want to run this business that has a high chance of one day going public, right? Or one day you want to be sold to Estee Lauder or Johnson & Johnson. And so, you know, there are a lot of businesses that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, but you need to know kind of, is that what you want to do in the long run? Or do you want to have a business that you you run with your family, right? Or you run because it's a great business for you as a person. And so that I think is something that you want you need to understand. And then two, understanding the type of capital that you need and what you need it for. So as an entrepreneur, you may need different sources of capital for different things. Is it working capital? Is it buying inventory? Is it for marketing dollars? And so you should never go out to raise money unless you have a plan. You have to figure out, you know, what do I need this money for and how much money will make a difference in my company. For venture capital specifically, we need to look at companies that have this hockey stick growth. So it might look kind of flat or kind of growing a little bit by itself um, linearly, but then there's a huge exponential growth because there's that influx of capital. And so it's not a one-for-one type of dollar, but actually much more of a rapid growth. And so sometimes when you take venture money, you're actually more inclined to have to grow faster, go at a different speed than if you never took that to begin with. And I think that, you know, as an entrepreneur, really kind of understanding what you want would be most important. Because if you want to have that family run business, then venture capital is not for you. If you don't want to ultimately go public or have this million dollar business, then venture capital is not the route to go, correct? Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's so many businesses that are so successful. I mean, most of the United States is made of is small, medium-sized businesses, right? And people who have made businesses for themselves. And so I think that if you're building a social business, you want to become the next Facebook, right? Look at what happened to Snap. 
um, they dreamed very big and then ended up going public as well to compete. And so I think it's, it's understanding kind of, hey, are there similarities to what I'm doing? And like, is that what I want to be, you know, when I grow up to? As a, as a company. Originally, I had planned to ask you what three common pitfalls women-owned businesses seeking investors should avoid, but I think maybe a better question would be, what are the common misconceptions about mm. what getting venture capital looks like? Like, I think that people have this assumption, oh, you know, if I get venture capital, then maybe that means my company is definitely going to be a success. Is that a misconception? I, I don't know. And I'm just pulling things out of a hat. But do you think that there are, are common misconceptions that we haven't talked about already? Yeah, I think that to be very clear for venture, we also need to make money too, right? As a fund yeah. or else we can't make the returns to all investors who give us money. Right. And so um, we need companies to have an exit in order for us to make money. And so if you take venture capital dollars, you have to have some type of ultimate outcome within those 10 years, right? Like, likely within a certain time frame. And so whether you go public or you get sold, um, there has to be something or else we, we can't. You don't get the return on investment. Yeah, exactly. And so then that's going to be a misalignment of interest. And sometimes um, there are entrepreneurs who may not be the right CEO forever. You might be a CEO who takes the company from zero to 100. But are you this type of CEO who manages the company to take it public or even after that? And so as a founder, you may need to think ahead. Like, we're not in the business to replace our founders or anything like that for sure. But mm-hmm. I do think that founders really need to think through how do I kind of work on myself over time? How do I upgrade my own team? Because that's bound to happen. No one is great at taking a company from zero to 100 million to 100 million to 500, right? To like right. managing a right. billion dollar business. And <laughs> right. so <laughs> that is something that you need to be okay with um, if you want your company to become very, very big. And um, it may or may not happen, right? And it may just be building out kind of successful team members around you and executives around you. The other thing that I think that entrepreneurs should look out for is make sure that you're not selling a product, assuming that you're your own customer base. So we get that a lot, right? We get um, a lot of pitches that come to us, hey, I had this problem and I'm going to make this product to solve it. But, you know, how many of you are out there? How many of you are in the U.S.? How many of you are are there globally? And so kind of making sure that it's not a very niche product that you're making, but it's actually serving a need of society or a big total addressable market is very important to us to understand. It's funny because in, in certain conversations, people think, oh, the more niche market that you get into, the, the smaller the niche market, the better. But it's interesting to hear that you say kind of the opposite, that you don't want to go too small, that you're serving such a, a small percentage of the population. Yeah, I think for us, when you're serving a very small niche, which is not necessarily a bad business, but there's only so much of that, right? If you can only sell a $10 product or a $50 product to a group of people, and only maybe a certain percentage of that group of people who really buy, right. you're really limiting yourself, right? And mm-hmm. so for us, we would like to see that you can reach a lot more people as well. 
whether it's gotcha. in the U.S. Or, or globally. Gotcha. And your third thing before I interrupted you, sorry. <laughs> oh, oh, noise is that um, do a lot of research. This time is much better than it has ever been. It's very transparent now. You can go on a platform or database like AngelList or Crunchbase. These websites have a lot of tools around who investors are, what type of stage do they invest in, what you have to invest in your competitor. You definitely need to know that before you go talk to a fund because you know, they're likely not going to fund multiple companies who just compete against each other. And so if they've already picked a winner that's very fast, they're mm-hmm. not likely going to invest in you as well. And I think that it's very important to look at um, the specific investors and what type of boards they're on, right? Do they tend to advise a lot of companies that you respect, that you want to be like and, and, see, and see that? And in order to get a lot of their attention, you can network your way there. You can reach out to people on LinkedIn. You can even go to conferences and events that you see them going to or speaking at. I think it's a lot more intimidating than in reality is. And speaking of networking and reaching out to people and getting that attention, would you say that the networking is the better way to get the attention or would it be to be building your numbers and your sales on your business on your own and let that get the attention? Or is it even if you have all the numbers and sales, you still have to make the the pitch and the reach out? Yeah, I think you definitely need to have a network because we get hundreds of inbounds all the Mm -hmm. time, right? You know, most investors probably get hundreds of emails per day. And to actually sift through that and find you, like, take the time out to find a company that I don't even know exists out there would be very helpful, right? And so if it's Mm -hmm. a warm intro coming from somebody I know or I've connected to on LinkedIn or I've met you at the conference, of course I would answer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think having that contact is really important. And I would say, especially to female entrepreneurs, women need to help each other. And yeah. so don't feel like you're always competing with another entrepreneur or you're competing with somebody else in a different city or anything like that. And I think that just be open and mm-hmm. talk about kind of shared difficulties that you might have overcome or you network together. It's definitely something that, you know, we as females need to bound together. Absolutely. I'm all about and that, And there's a Robin. lot of female investors now. It's so great to see that companies respect and understand that there's power in women-owned businesses and, and believing in our vision. And so that's definitely appreciated. Definitely. We have back a lot of female entrepreneurs and co-founders. And I think that it makes the company even better, right? Having a different perspective at the table. A lot of our CEOs who are females are the best CEOs in our portfolio. They're so responsible, right? They think things through. They're very empathetic. They're great leaders. And I think that, too, when listening to to this type of conversation or, or something that I heard on a panel that I thought was really important was that if you are a, a woman owned business entrepreneur and you are seeking an investor, it's important to notice what capital funds are investing in other women, because I think it's much harder of a sell to go to a company that is not currently investing in or doesn't already see the value in investing in women owned businesses. So just that alignment piece, like knowing this company 
company already has a large portfolio that is committed to supporting women? Definitely. And I think that, you know, one thing that, you know, as an entrepreneur that will, that may happen is that you will face male investors. And a lot of male investors are really great, right? They're on the Forbes Midas list. They've been amazing investors of capital for a long time. And so you're bound to run into them, right? And a yes. lot of them are allies too. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think the biggest pitfall that women make is that they don't really give context because a male investor mm-hmm. is not going to understand makeup or, right. you know, consumer goods that a female might buy as or brands as well as a female investor might because they have that personal experience. And so when you do end up pitching, make sure that you give as much context as possible, right? Use data and research to explain how big is this market? What's my potential? Giving that context so that the investor is not like, oh, let me go home and ask my daughter or let me right. ask my wife if this is something that they like. That, right. That makes it very difficult, right? And so mm-hmm. you want to take that difficulty out of the equation and make it as easy as possible and explain everything through surveys as well to your own customer base. I like that tip as well, because you can have a great product, but if you can't sell it even to the person that you hope to be an investor, you know, how are you going to sell it to the population at mass? For sure. Well, thank you so very much, Robin. It's been such a pleasure. I've definitely learned a lot in this conversation. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to mention? No, I think that's it. I think, you know, every entrepreneur should really follow their dreams. We're here to back amazing people, amazing ideas. If someone wants to get in contact with you or learn more about GGV Capital, how can they do that? Or where can they find you all online? Uh, We have our website, www.ggvc.com. And I'm very responsive on LinkedIn, so definitely reach out to me there. My email is also there. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Please visit my website, LonnieSwain.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, check out companion blog posts, show notes, and lots of other cool stuff. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Buzzsprout, CastBox, Anchor, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and my website. I love and appreciate all of your feedback, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with at least three people who you think would enjoy it too or benefit from the information. Until next time, go where you are celebrated and appreciated, not just tolerated. Talk to you soon.